We said this morning we're going to be taking a look at the fifth commandment. Uh, the focus there occurs on the family. And before we do that, uh, we're going to uh, ask the Lord's favor on the mystery of his word tonight. Our God and Heavenly Father, your spirit inspired your word. It breathed out your word. You used faithful men in your service and to pen these portions. We marvel at the ways in which you carry out your condescending love to us and stoop down and as uh, one of our church leaders once said, as it were, lisped to us so that we might understand the marvels of your ways. And so we pray that you will grant us strength, Father, uh, by your Spirit to receive your word in such a way that we might glorify you. May no stumbling blocks occur, no impediments, Father, in what's being communicated to hinder us at all in our responding to you well faithfully, and obediently. May we honor you in this hour and always. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read from Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17, as it sheds light and harmonizes with the fifth commandment. That's where we're at in our look at the Ten Commandments and the thankful Christian life we've been called to live. And we're going to be considering then, in light of all that, the 39th Lord's Day on page 52 in the back of our hymnals. Uh, we'll be looking at that in a moment, but first we're going to read from Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 17. There we read, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So that's God's word we've read. We respond in, uh, as the church does, with a confession and an understanding of what his word has to say. Uh, from Lord's Day 39, question 104, where the question gets asked, what is God's will for us in the fifth commandment? That I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me, that I obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish me, 
and also that I be patient with their failings, for through them, God chooses to rule us. So may we find God's word to be of a blessing today. God certainly is a God whose word always accomplishes what it sets out to do. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, for our boys and girls that are here this evening, I'm sure that when they hear about the command that God has for them to honor mom and dad, that for the most part, when they hear that, that may not seem like such a bad thing to do, that they like to do it because they start thinking about the fact that mom and dad, you think about mom and dad feeding you and you think about the things that they pay for that you need and sometimes that you even want. And so that might not seem such a like a hard thing to do, an easy thing to do, but you may not always want to honor them. You know, you're called to, to eat and you're not ready. And they say everything's ready at the table and mom and dad are wondering where you are. Well, you weren't quite ready when mom and dad were ready, but they want you there. And that can be a bit annoying to you. Or maybe you need to be home at a certain time and you want to be out a little longer. Or you want to have somebody come to your house. And, you know, that just doesn't work in mom and dad's plans. And then you discover that mom and dad make mistakes and they're not perfect. Then what? Well, our parents are not perfect. They were not perfect. But God, honoring God as, as his children, for Jesus' sake, includes honoring parents that he gave us with the honor that's due them. You know, God gave our parents a, a huge responsibility, and that is to raise us according to God's way. And both parents and children need to respect that gift. And when we do, parents will be honorable and children will be honoring. And most of all, we're going to be honoring God together for Jesus' sake. And that's always a blessed thing to see happening. We don't always associate Thanksgiving with authority or command, though, I would gather. We give thanks, we say, freely. While commands are done whether we want to do them or not. Much more out of duty. I would imagine that our boys and girls who are in schools, sometimes, especially the grade school kids, uh, may sometimes rather run in the halls if somebody was to take a vote and say, can we run in the halls or should we walk in the halls? Maybe the boys and girls would just as soon run in the halls rather than walk in them. But then the teachers say, slow down, walk in the halls. Okay. We'd rather give money generously and not out of compulsion by taxes or some other means. And yet as Christians, we profess that honoring authority is an act 
of thanksgiving. We express thanksgiving to the Lord this way for delivering us from the sinful misery that we've uh, come to know in Jesus Christ. Such a thanksgiving then is going to have its effect on the family as well as in other areas of life. So we're going to focus our, on thankful Christian living according to the fifth commandment that way. So first of all, its effect on the family. Our introduction touched on the family and about the calling to honor. Parenting, when understood from a godly perspective, when we look at the fifth commandment where it says, honor your father and your mother, when, when understood from a godly point of view, is an honorable gift from God. Parents have been given the honor from God to be parents. They've been given the honor from God to be parents. And many potential parents don't look at it that way at all, let alone actual parents. And that's, of course, a contributing factor to the neglect of children, to the aborting of children, and the cheapening of human life as a whole in society, and of course a cheapening of the family, because God's left out of the picture, who's the one who gives the honor of being a parent in a household. People wonder these days, we see it all the time, right, you talk about it all the time, about the manpower shortage in our society, uh, in our society. and suddenly uh, people see the value of human life. They don't have enough people uh, to carry out the work they have to do. Of course, I know some of that has been exasperated by through through the or exacerbated by uh, the COVID situation. But but there's a shortage of manpower, and suddenly people see how valuable that is. And you drive down the road and you see marquees, and they're saying. We're going to give you a bonus for this, that, and the other thing if you show up for work. But unfortunately, many people didn't see that same value, you know, when they cheapened human life, when they aborted children, and they didn't see the role of parenting as an honorable calling from God. What they saw parenting as was an inconvenience a keeping of them from whatever it is that they thought was more important. From the Bible's point of view, though, it's a privilege to be a parent. The office that parenting holds is an office that calls parents to raise their children in the ways of God and in the name of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a high calling. That's a high office. And so, therefore, being a parent uh, is, or it, I should have said it's a high privilege, and, and being a parent, therefore, it is a high office. It's a high office. And that high office is why parents need to be honored. And not first because they do everything perfectly or because they are perfect, but because they hold this 
parental office granted to them by God the Father through Jesus Christ. You know, when we honor anybody, we do that because of something they did or something that they are. Our respect for somebody might diminish, might even greatly diminish for things that they've done and in turn grow for things that they do. But while parents may do dishonorable things, the reason any honor remains with them, distinguishing them as parents, is the honor that they were first given as parents by God himself. And if by God's grace a parent remembers that, or learns that, then their desire to be more honorable will grow. When in Christ we show honor to our parents, then we're expressing thanksgiving, we're, we're expressing thankful Christian living. We see that honor that's been given, and, it's, and that thanks gets expressed in, in love, and fidelity, and patience, among other ways. And those are the things that our, you know, the catechism speaks about when it's talking about, you know, what is it that we glean, what is it God's will for the fifth in the fifth commandment, that I honor, love, and be loyal to my mother and father and all those in authority over me, and that I'm patient with them in their failing. We do want to take a, a quick look at those three thoughts there about thanks being expressed in, in love, fidelity, and patience. According to the fifth commandment, thanksgiving shows in the love that we give. We know that the law is summarized by love for God, love for neighbor. Christian virtues weave together. Part of the way we honor our parents is with the love we give them. It's the first commandment, after all, that we normally associate with the love for neighbor. We see some of it in the fourth commandment, of course, when we're merciful to others so that they could worship and rest like we do. But we see it full-orbed come to play into this Commandment, And interestingly that way, that love for neighbor isn't, doesn't start with that person outside of our home. It starts at home. Love for neighbor, interestingly, starts at home. And yet, when we think about it, that shouldn't surprise us at all. If there's going to be someone that we're going to love, most of the time we think, first of all, about the family. That doesn't surprise us especially given what we've just said about the, the fifth commandment. But not everybody that uh, happens, not everything that happens in family life, as in areas of life otherwise, are easily done out of love. They can be done more out of duty. Yeah? What becomes hard to do is to, lo is, is to love what we must do. You know, the easy thing for us is to, to love to do what we're allowed to do, that we like to do. But to love to do what we must do is another thing that we, that we all must sanctify in our lives. You know, I, I might not be a great fan about taking out the trash, but I have to develop a love for the family and the betterment of the family and for my parents when I'm told to take it out. I, I just want to do it, I should want to do it for the sake of love. 
It would be a great thing to, to see that as I'm, I'm doing these things that, that I don't even have to wait for somebody to tell me to take it out. Because I've got a love for the family. I, I want to do my part. I want to, to help where I can. I want to do it for the sake of love. If, I, if you read that a, a wife is supposed to submit uh, to her, her husband as the church submits to Christ, that can cause bitterness to think about that on the surface. Okay, God, if you say so, but I know what's better for me, and it isn't submission. It's not. And yet, what we, when we see the impact that Christian submission has in the church of Jesus Christ, as the church submits to Christ, as, as, as people submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, or when we see the impact of Christ's submission to His Father in heaven to the point of death on a cross, then you start looking at submission in a completely different way. You start looking at submission and, and thinking, you know what, this is a pretty powerful thing. To not have to have my way all the time. Because that's the easy thing for me to do. The, the, the harder thing, the stronger thing is to say, it doesn't have to be my way. To see submission as power that way and not weakness. To see it as virtue and not vice. To see it as privilege and, and not mere duty. And at the same time, and I, I heard that you had this uh, subject last week about husbands having to love their wives. Well, you know, sacrificing for my wife naturally might not be appealing. Because of a natural tendency to be selfish or self-preserving. It might be like that, but... But when I think about how Christ died for his bride, the church, and that I have the privilege to reflect that love, and that I can honor in that sense even my wife by sacrificing for her, well, then I see that sacrificial life in a whole different view. Then I see that this sacrificial life that I live for my wife isn't just a duty. It's a privilege. It's, it's a desire. And, and how we all need to see privilege, to see the privilege that the Lord has given us to live honorably, you know, within our family. Whether it's in the family, the, the church of Jesus Christ, or in any area of life, making honor a matter of love is a challenge for all of us. And the more we do, the, 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 the more our honoring will be done in a, a loving manner, a thankful manner, and, and not just compulsively or, or begrudgingly or half-heartedly. Thank God Jesus didn't go to the cross that way, right? He went on his own accord. Nobody took his life from him, but gave it on his own accord, and he took it up again. Thankful living through the fifth commandment has its effect also on the family in terms of fidelity. We, we mentioned that that loyalty is involved here. Family life is special. Whether you're talking about marriages, whether you're talking about parent-church relationships, marriage deserves fidelity because it's what God has joined together. But fidelity is also woven into the fabric of family living. Our, our families must not, of course, become the, the center of our living because there's a tendency to want to do that. Right? 
God has to be at the center of our living. Christ has to be at the center of our living. But at the same time, right, we want to be faithful to our parents, let's say, in the same way that they've been faithful to us over the years. And as we've been able to, to count on our parents for so much, and think about that, boys and girls and young people and young adults and older adults, ponder on that for a moment in the ways in which they were faithful to you. And as you do that, as you think about that, then, then you realize that, you know, that's what we want to be to our parents as well. It's a way of honoring them. It's a way of, of, of staying loyal to them. The Bible tells us that if we're not that way to our relatives, we're worse than unbelief. Because even they do that. We've been able to count on our parents for so much, we want to do our part to be dependable to them. Particularly when they get old and infirmed, or maybe even impoverished. And yet we shouldn't have to wait for those days to do that. We don't have to wait for our parents to get old to show to them that they can count on us. You know, as children and, and young people and young adults who are here, we should, be, we should be people that our parents can trust and count on. Uh, to be true to our word when we say to them, yeah, I'll be back by X or 9, you know, 9, whatever it is that we say. You know, to do that. To be there to help when the need arises. We should want to be trusted and, and we want to be entrusted with the, the torch of the gospel truth that our parents have passed down to us. That is most important to them so that it will be most important to us and so that in turn it will be more most important to those to whom we pass it down, particularly our children or our grandchildren. And when you leave the house for the day or for the night, you're off to school or whatever you're doing, your parents should be able to trust what you do when they're away as much as when their eye as much as when their eye is not on you as, as when it is. Being dependable. And in those dependable ways, then we express a, a thanksgiving to the Lord for the good things He's bestowed upon us as His children in Christ, but also as we remember then, as God has been faithful to us that we would show forth that dependability because we remember how our parents have been people on whom we could depend. That thanksgiving also expresses itself in the patience that we display in our families. That we're patient with their failings. When we hear of the calling to endure with weaknesses and failings, it reminds us as young people and boys and girls that while we may hold our parents to high standards, they are no more perfect than we are. And they'll make mistakes. And they'll commit sins as parents. And as parents, we better not be afraid to confess our mistakes. We better not act to our kids as if we never make a mistake. That we've never done anything wrong. That we just hold that to ourselves because we're, we don't want to admit that to our children. That's just denying the truth. 
We better not be afraid to confess our mistakes to them. To say, we tell our kids that they need to say they're sorry, but there are times that we have to say sorry to them. But it also reminds us as children, of course, that forgiving and forgiveness, even as the Lord has forgiven us, is the only way that there can be peace in the house. It's the only way that families can really endure. And those are the kind of families that the Lord wants us to be. Families where we admit our wrongs, we forgive, we seek forgiveness, we receive forgiveness, and we move on in the peace of the Lord. Now we focus some on the fifth commandment in terms of its tool of thanks with the family, but then there's other areas of life, and Mark 12 touches them. You know, the Pharisees, they were those people that focused on self-righteousness, right? Keeping the law perfectly and the Jewish way of life. And the Herodians that are mentioned here, they focused on worldliness. And they thought about the Greeks and the Roman way of life. And so it's a weird mix here. There's strange bedfellows here. There's these two, what would otherwise be opposing uh, leaderships within the Jewish community and they're joining forces to rid the world of Jesus, to trap him, to seek to put him on the horns of a dilemma. The tribute tax of which they speak here, they're, when they're saying do we have to pay taxes to Caesar, the, the tribute tax of which they speak had been in existence since eighty six. The Pharisees gave it begrudgingly. There's a fellow by the name of Judas of Galilee who was quoted by the historian Josephus as saying that the tax was nothing less than downright slavery. It was viewed by many as treasonous to God. The Herodians, on the other hand, they were lax in the law, in the Jewish way, and they were supporters of Rome. And they supported the tax. So you got some strange allies here. But they figured if they worked together, the Pharisees on the one hand and the Herodians on the other, they figured they could get Jesus, their common enemy, to discredit himself either before the Jewish people or before the Roman authorities. didn't matter. Somehow, somebody would not be happy with Jesus. And that's what they wanted. How would Jesus, whose works and words spoke to the kingdom of God, coming in power through him, survive this kind of allied and counseled plot against him? Well, he asked for the denarius, as we see in this passage, that was supposed to be used to pay the tax in question. And the coin was, itself was blasphemous. Not because it had the image of Caesar on it, because he asked, you know, whose, whose image is on here? And they said it's Caesar. But it's because the inscription that stated on the, the head side, or as people would say, collect coins, the obverse side, it's the opposite of the reverse side, it's the front side, the head side. It had the head of Caesar on it, but it said on it, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. That's what it said on it. And the tail side, or the reverse side, said great high priest. So isn't that remarkable? Tiberius claimed the position of the divine son of God and the royal high priest of the world. Sound familiar? 
Does such a ruler deserve honor from godly men and women? Certainly not in terms of the extra claims that he was making about himself about the, upon the coin. But that didn't mean that a measure of honor was still due him in the things of which he was worthy of honor. It was a case again of giving honor where honor was due. And just because he went overboard with his claims, that didn't mean that he still didn't deserve a measure of honor. But the only honor that he had coming related to what God had given him, not as this divine, self-proclaimed authority, but what God had given him as a mere human being. Even Christ's opponents believed this in practice. He asks them for a denarius. Well, they didn't have a hard, hard time picking up a denarius. They had them. <clears throat> they used them. They carried these coins around. They used them in common, everyday life. These coins that stated the blasphemous. And yet they used the money in, in ways that the emperor allowed them to use them, commanded them to use it as legal tender. And in that way, in using that, they showed due honor. But just because you used the money in the ways commanded, it didn't mean that you dishonored God. Just because the pretender of Rome blasphemously dishonored God with his inscription. See, Jesus strikes the perfect balance here, doesn't he, in his reply to those who sought to destroy him. He didn't show any favoritism to the Jews. He didn't show any favoritism to the Gentiles, to the Greco-Roman way in his reply. But he rather gave honor to God as the great prophet teacher that he really was. And as the true royal high priest of the world that he really was. Christian thanksgiving, according to the fifth commandment, realizes that there's room for subjection and honor to rulers, even disobedient and blasphemous ones. Where subjection and honor is due them in accordance with God's way. The Christian can display his thanksgiving that way to God for the measure of peace and order and protection that even those kind of rulers provide. And that doesn't mean that Christians are going to agree with everything that authorities do. Because we need to obey God rather than men. But he will make it a point, even in his disagreement, to express it in lawful and respectful tones. He knows that these authorities are where they are, not by chance, not because of themselves, but because... God placed them there, and for that reason, and that reason, the Christian will respect them to the extent that they deserve. And that's true when it comes to all measures of authority under which we find ourselves. Maybe you have a coach in your athletics. Maybe you have a referee in your athletics. 
You have bosses, you have police officers, you have instructors, you have elders, you have governors, mayors, supervisors, judges. You give honor where honors due. And taxes where taxes are due are, are wholly appropriate for us in all the roles that we're called to fill in God's kingdom. And doing that doesn't have to mean that God is dishonored by that kind of honor. No matter what the authority might stand for or believe or do. It's just part of our calling to a thankful life. And it's part and parcel of what it means to give honor, to give God honor with our lives for the sake of the true royal high priest of the world, the true divine son of God, that Jesus Christ is. The one who has all authority in heaven and on our earth. The one we're called to confess as Savior and He alone, and the one to whom we're to thankfully submit as the only King of kings and Lord of lords. And so may the Lord help us more from day to day in our families and in every other area of life to display our gratitude to God as we honor our parents and all those in authority over us to give honor where honor's due. May we do that for the sake of Jesus Christ, our great royal high priest, the true divine Son of God, our Savior and our King. Amen. Let's respond in, in prayer. Shall we do that? Father, we are thankful that you have called us to a life of honor, to honor it within our families and in other areas of life. And the effect that that can have, dear Father, uh, on our families and other areas of life is immense and can be positive and ought to be and will be and will be a light, Father, to a, wor a world that wants to do nothing but dishonor you and dishonor others. We pray, Lord, that more and more we would show forth the Christian way, the way that Christ himself was to you as he gave honor to you. And as he also showed us that balance that we're called to give, to render to Caesar what's Caesar's, to God what's God's. May we find in our own family circles um, and wherever we are that we would show forth that we want to pass along and be entrusted with uh, the gospel truths that have been passed on to us by our parents that we would show honor to them even if they're no longer living by the ways in which lord we live in respect and in dedication unto you father we're grateful for your commandments, that they are not burdensome. Certainly that's true, Lord, about the fifth commandment. May we find ourselves all the more uh, doing what we've been called to do, not simply out of duty, but seeing it as a privilege, whether it's being a parent or whatever it is that you've called us to be in accordance with the fifth commandment. May you hear us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.